All right, so I'll be reading from Mark 11, uh, starting at verse 1, and reading to Mark 12, um, verse 12. Give you a couple more seconds. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell them, the Lord needs it, and will send it back here uh, shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus answered, entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find, find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say that, say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, It is not written, My house will be called a house of prayer. Or is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, they went out of the city. In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree with, withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that, believe that you have received it and will be and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. They arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing those doing these things? they asked. And who gave you the authority to do this? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me and I will tell you 
by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or was it from men? Tell me. They discussed it amongst themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, they feared the people where everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. He then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit out for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him the last, sent him last of all, saying, they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? Will he come and kill those tenants who give the vineyard to others? Haven't you read this scripture? The stone, built, the, stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then they looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against him. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. Well, let's pray before we come to think about this passage from Scripture. Gracious God, uh, we thank you for your revelation of yourself to us and revealing your Son to us, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father God, that uh, you continue to um, change our minds and our hearts through your word and your spirit. So we pray now for that to happen for us as we consider this passage of scripture, that uh, we would be um, cl clarified in our minds uh, the right response to you and that we would respond appropriately. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So one day, Jesus is walking along a road with his disciples and uh, he's feeling hungry and up ahead, he sees a fig tree. Terrific. So he heads to the fig tree and when he gets there, he notices that although this fig tree uh, looked healthy, it, had, uh, it was full of leaves, on closer examination... It had no figs, no fruit for him to eat. So he curses the fig tree. And the next day, it's dead. What do you make of that? Some critics of Christianity have said, well, there you go. There's the evidence that this Jesus is not quite the perfect person, he's not quite the moral mountain that he's made out to be. 
that the fig tree didn't give him what he wanted, so he got angry and he killed it. Why would anyone follow Jesus? Some church leaders have found this story a bit embarrassing. The Jesus that I believe in wouldn't do that. He wouldn't just have a petulant outburst of rage and curse a fig tree and next day it's dead. Didn't happen. You, you can't trust, not everything in the Bible actually happened. A lot of it did, not everything. We need to maybe interpret this a little bit differently. <laughs> the fig tree wasn't really there. Jesus didn't really do that. What do you make of it? What do you make of it? Was it a petulant outburst of anger from Jesus? Was it a made-up story? Or is there something more to this? Now, earlier this year, uh, when we got to uh, Mark chapter 10 in our series, it finished in around February, uh, Jesus had been ministering with his disciples in the uh, regions of uh, Galilee and uh, also in the, the countryside of Judea. But uh, as we take a break from our Genesis series and return to Mark's Gospel today, we see in the chapter that uh, Roger just read for us in chapter 11 of Mark's Gospel that Jesus and his disciples are now, well, they're now in the city, in the city of Jerusalem, which is not just the, um, uh, the political capital of uh, Israel, it's the, the spiritual capital of Israel. And at no time of the year is that more evident than at the time of the Passover, when hundreds of thousands of people uh, would uh, stream into Jerusalem for the purpose of worshipping God at Passover. Jesus was one of those people. And if you open up your Bibles at Mark 11... Jesus and his disciples, we see uh, they're not staying in the city. Uh, they've found accommodation in a village a few kilometres out of the city, a village called Bethany. But when Jesus did enter Jerusalem, he did not enter Jerusalem on foot. He didn't just walk into town. Instead, we're told that he entered into Jerusalem sitting on the back of a colt, uh, that is a young male donkey. Um, in uh, verses 2 through to 8, Mark tells us how Jesus had, had already planned for a, for, a, for a colt to be available and he organised for his disciples to go and get this particular colt and then in uh, verses 8 through to 10, uh, in what's sometimes uh, celebrated as Palm Sunday, uh, the locals rolled out the red carpet for Jesus. Let's pick it up at verse 8. Uh, many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. 
Hosanna in the highest. And then we're told that Jesus went into the city, entering in on the back of a colt, and he had a bit of a look around the city. He went and looked around the temple. But it was late. Late in the day, and so he didn't stay there long. He saw what was happening in the temple, and then he headed back, headed back for the night at his accommodation in Bethany. And so what's the connection? What is the connection uh, between the, the crowds praising Jesus as he rides on the back of a colt and Jesus cursing the fig tree? What, what's, what's the connection there? Well, I want you to imagine Jerusalem at the time of Passover. Uh, it is literally uh, packed uh, with people who have come to offer live animal sacrifices. <laughs> live animal sacrifices at the temple. And most of those people have, or many of them, have come from long distances. Uh, there are those who have come from Judea, those who've come uh, from a distance from Galilee, but there are also people who've come from other parts of the world, other parts of the known world at the time, those places where there were Jewish settlements in the Mediterranean and throughout what we would call today the Middle East to offer animal sacrifices. And so rather than bringing their live animal sacrifices with them on the journey... Uh, instead, they purchased animals once they got there to Jerusalem. Uh, in addition to that, in Exodus chapter 30, uh, Jews were required to give an offering uh, to the temple of a half a shekel of silver each year. And that was came to be referred to as the temple tax. And now a, um, uh, a shekel is a unit of weight. And in the time that Exodus was written, you would, um, you would uh, measure up, you would weigh some silver so that it came to half a shekel and you'd just pay over that silver. By the time of Jesus, uh, currency, uh, coins had been invented and so that meant that people could bring their local currency and exchange it for a particular coin uh, which is called the Tyrian shekel, which is made of silver and is approximately the weight of half a shekel, they could bring their local currency and exchange it for the Tyrian half shekel coin. So they needed money changes. They needed a place where they could purchase livestock they needed a place where they could exchange their currency and so marketplaces had been established in Jerusalem for that very purpose. In fact, there were three markets. They were all uh, located on the Mount of Olives and they were, they were run by the local council for this very purpose of purchasing your sacrifice and exchanging your money for the temple tax. However, when Jesus entered Jerusalem on the donkey late that day and had a look around the temple, 
what he saw was very disturbing. For a marketplace was now in full swing inside the temple grounds. Now, why? Well, the markets on the uh, Mount of Olives uh, were run by the local council, uh, the Sanhedrin. But the Jewish high priest at the time uh, named Caiaphas, he saw that there was money to be made and he wanted a slice of the action. So uh, historians tell us that in 30 AD, he set up his own marketplace where he could get the profits, a marketplace on his turf, inside the temple. Now, I want you to try to imagine the temple and uh, the temple grounds, which are a series of concentric circles. And in the middle is the Holy of Holies. Uh, then there is the, the, the court of, the, of men. Then there is the court of women. And then outside of that is the wide open space called the court of the Gentiles where non-Jewish people, pagans, Gentiles who had repented of their idolatry and turned to the true and living God, people like the vast majority of us, could come to Jerusalem and worship the true God. Worship the true God. But now, rather than it being a place of prayer, it's a, an oriental bazaar. It's a livestock market with uh, the clinking of cash as people exchange their money. And who was it? Who was it that in his greed had made it hard for Gentiles to worship God? It was none other than the senior spiritual leader of Israel, the high priest. How do you think Jesus felt? This is why Jesus was angry. And so he turned the tables. Check out verse 15. And this is as Jesus goes back the next day, having cursed the fig tree en route, and on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those that were selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? Well, how do you think the religious leaders would have responded to him um, <clears throat> turning the tables in their marketplace. In verse 18, we're told that they actually wanted to kill him for that. But arresting Jesus was always going to be tricky because uh, the people, the common people, were actually amazed by him. Uh, some of whom knew of his great miracles that he had uh, he'd been uh, performing and we're told that they were amazed by his teaching as he taught them in the temple courts. And we can see just how tricky that was uh, for the spiritual leaders when we, uh, uh, we get to verses 27 to 33. Um, here, it's, an, it's another day, and Jesus is well, he's back in the temple courts, 
when a, a coalition, a, a bunch of religious leaders, the, the, uh, the chief priests, the scribes and so on, that they came to Jesus and they challenged his authority. Verse 28. By what authority are you doing these things, I asked? And who gave you authority to do this? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me and I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism. Was it from heaven or from men? Tell me. Now, do you know what Jesus has just done? He's just turned the tables a second time. <laughs> this time he's turned the tables on them. Because if they answer this question, it's a lose-lose situation for them. If they answer it by saying that, well, John's baptism was from heaven, then the question is, well, why did you not believe what John said about Jesus? I can't say that. But if they say that John's baptism was from men, then they're going to be offside with the crowd, uh, many of whom uh, believe J John to be a true prophet from God. And so they're snookered, aren't they? <laughs> they're snookered. And uh, in verse 33, well, you know what it's like when you just don't want to answer the question? <laughs> I remember as a little boy, my brother and myself were asked by our grandmother, who painted the garage door? <laughs> and with dripping paintbrushes in both our hands, we said, we don't know. <laughs> so to the fact, these religious leaders, in verse 33, Recognising their predicament, they shrug their shoulders and say, we don't know. But why did Jesus raise the issue of John the Baptist? Well, what was John's big message? In uh, Luke's Gospel, in Luke's Gospel chapter 3, it was this. It was, uh, it was be baptised and, quote, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. What were they to produce? They were to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, uh, when Jesus uh, rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, it wasn't because he was too tired to walk. Um, it was actually to fulfil a prophecy. And I wonder if you might um, pick up your Bibles now. Um, and I want you to turn to the... Second last book of the Old Testament, if you wouldn't mind. That's easy to find. The second last book of the Old Testament is the book of Zechariah. Zechariah. And when you get to Zechariah, go to chapter 9. I'll give you a moment to find that. I think sometimes the screen makes us a bit lazy, doesn't it? It's really good for us to actually get used to and opening up our Bibles and finding passages. Second last book in the Old Testament, Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 9. Let me read it for you. 
I'm going to pick it up at verse 9. Now, this is written about 500 years earlier, and it's a prophecy. It's a prophecy, well, it's about the future. It's about the coming of God's king. And in chapter 9, verse 9 of Zechariah, we read, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And he will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles, to the whole of the earth. Now, how would Israel know when God's king had arrived in Jerusalem? Well, he would come riding on a donkey. Come riding on a donkey. Now, the, the crowd um, didn't understand what God's kingdom would be like. But they knew about Jesus' miracles. And when they saw him riding into Jerusalem at the Passover on a donkey, on a, on a, on a, on a, a, a colt, that's the word I'm looking for, there's a reason why they praised him. There's a reason why they lay out their clothes, that they lay out their palm branches. There's a reason why they cried out, Hosanna! And it's because they knew that God's king had finally come. That God's king was now visiting God's people, his people, in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, with its temple, with its priests, with its sacrifices, with all of its spirituality. And what does Jesus, what does God's king, what does God as we now know, in the person of his son, what does he have the right to expect to see and to receive when he enters Jerusalem? Fruit. Fruit. The fruit of repentance. The fruit of lives that are trusting in God. The fruit of lives that are lived by faith. Trusting, loving, obeying, honouring, serving God and serving others. When in fact what he does find is a marketplace run by greedy profiteers. The spiritual leaders who instead of feeding God's people are robbing them. Who instead of being a light to the Gentiles are depriving the Gentiles of prayer. They're just like the fig tree. You see, uh, back in verse 13, the, the leaves on the fig tree, they disguised the fact that the tree had no fruit. And you know what? Religion can be just like that. Uh, you can have magnificent buildings you can have ornate furnishings. You can have impressive church services, both traditional and contemporary. 
which give the appearance that there, there must be fruit when in fact there isn't. There are times when even the church leaders deny the gospel. Now, I've never actually met any church leaders who tell me that they reject Jesus. I mean, that would be too obvious, wouldn't it? But I've known church leaders to say that when Jesus died on the cross, that, well, it was more about him just being an example of of sacrificial service than about paying for sin. There is actually a, a theology amongst um, church leaders currently which uh, says that the death of Jesus on the cross to pay for sin is unjust, unfair, which it is, but they don't realise that that's the mercy of God at work. It's even been referred to as cosmic child abuse, that God the Father would not have done that intentionally to his son. They deny the atonement. They deny the sacrifice of Jesus who is the true Passover. Then there are those who say about the resurrection, (laughs) that the resurrection of Jesus means that, not that he came back from death to life, but that he lives on in our hearts so that we emulate him in our lives. This is sort of a half-truth in that, isn't it? It's a denial of the gospel. Then there are those who just want <clears throat> tell you that God's message for you is that he wants you to be rich, usually because they want to be rich, not unlike the profiteers whose tables Jesus overturned, using religion to make money for themselves. Like the fig tree. They may look good, but with no fruit of repentance. So to these religious leaders who challenge Jesus' authority, he now tells them a story about some wicked farmers. And you know something I've noticed about Jesus when he's telling you a story? It's never really just a story. (laughs) Have you noticed that? He kind of... uh, he, he, uh, he, he hooks your interest and then he, uh, he draws you in and then you find that you've just actually bitten a hook. <laughs> Have you found that? He tells a story in chapter 12, verses 1 to 12, and it's about a man who planted a vineyard. And then he went and rented out the vineyard to some tenant farmers the idea being that, that they do the work, they grow the grapes, and then at harvest time they pay rent to him by handing over some of the fruit, some of the grapes, the fruit as rent. He'd have a right to turn up and expect to receive fruit, would he not? And yet every time he sent a servant to collect the fruit, the farmers wouldn't pay up. They would bash the servant or kill him. And imagine the religious leaders there standing around there listening to Jesus tell this story and they're thinking, I wonder where he's going with this. And then in verse 6, 
the farmer decides, well, they keep on doing this to my servants, they keep on bashing up and killing my servants, so I'll send my own son, for surely they would never do harm to him. But they killed the son, thinking that now the inheritance would be theirs, which was law uh, at that time, that if there's, no, if there's no rightful heir, the land goes to the renters. And so Jesus <coughs> poses a question. Check it out in verse 9. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Now, how did the religious leaders react to this? Well, they were outraged because they actually understood the story at this point. They understood that the owner of the vineyard is God, that the servants are the prophets, that the son is Jesus and the farmers are them. Them. How dare Jesus say that about them? How dare Jesus suggest that they would kill God's son? And so what do they do? They start planning to do exactly that. Oh, the irony. In verse 12, they look for a way to arrest Jesus and kill him. You see, the fig tree that Jesus saw was the real deal. Having been to the temple the, uh, the day before, Jesus knew what was happening in the marketplace. And so he used the fig tree as a warning as a warning of judgment. For when God's king visited God's people, what did he find? He found that they looked religious, but they had no fruit. And herein lies a challenge for us. Now, my favourite Queen Elizabeth story, if uh, <clears throat> I can indulge for a while, if you can indulge me for a while, uh, comes from a church that I, Cassie and I worked in um, many years ago, which was, it was close to a very large um, public housing complex. Some of you might know them. They're in Redfern in Sydney, these dreadful 20-plus storey high-rise places to live. Uh, apparently in the day, they were considered to be cutting-edge uh, you know, top quality public housing. And the complex, although people had already moved into it, uh, when it was officially opened, it was officially opened by none other than Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. How about that? And the organisers, the government, thought it would be a great idea to invite one of the residents to have Queen Elizabeth to her place, to her flat, for a cup of tea. And they asked a particular lady, an elderly lady, if she'd like to do that. Now, um, if that was me, I would uh, probably say yes now and panic later um, because I know there'd be a lot of cleaning up to do. <laughs> Don't you reckon? <laughs> I, I, would, I would need to clean the whole place up. I would need to, to fix it up so that it looked good for when the Queen 
came for a cuppa with me. And to that lady's delight, though, uh, she didn't have to do any of that because the government came in and they cleaned it up. <coughs> Not only did they clean it up, but all of her old furniture, they removed it, and the truck came and took it all away, another truck came with a whole load of brand new quality furniture to prepare for the Queen. Unfortunately, as soon as the Queen left, they took that old the new furniture away. <laughs> One day, King Jesus will come to us. For we're told that he who is resurrected and ascended will one day come again in judgment. And the difference between his coming to us is that we don't know when that will be. It could be any time. King Jesus could return during our lifetimes. He could return today, next week, next year. Or... It may be that we meet him after our death. And so the question therefore is, how, what will he find in us? For it's, it's quite possible for us to have the, the formality of Christian religion, but not have the reality of faith in Jesus. Does that make you feel uncomfortable? Uncomfortable perhaps because in your heart you know that you're not actually ready to meet Jesus. If that's true of you, then it's time to sort that out. It's time to come clean with God. It's quite a time to put your faith in Jesus before he comes. Or for many of us, most of us, we do trust in Jesus. And so the question therefore is, well, what should the fruit of repentance look like for us, for you and for me? Think about it this way. Which areas of your life, the way you think, the way you live, the things which you do, would you want to change, would you want to renovate if you had advance notice that the king was coming to visit you? If you knew that Jesus was about to come, meet you, The religious leaders, they didn't care uh, about turning God's people, in, God's temple into a den of thieves. But when we know just how much God in his son has loved us by dying on the cross, why would we not want to honour him in our lives? Why would we not want to prepare ourselves? Why would we not want 
to change those areas of sin in his strength, that they become areas of life that honour him, why would we not want to serve him with every opportunity he gives to us? What would the Lord Jesus find in you? Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this warning from your word. We pray for each one of us that we would not be content to be like a tree that has got leaves but no fruit. Father, help us to acknowledge our own state before you and necessary turn our lives over to you we pray for each one of us that we would not be complacent about issues of holiness and that by your word and your spirit that you would indeed help us as we seek to change to be those who bring honor and glory to you we pray in jesus name